Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. The goal here at the depot is to help you strengthen your own practice of leadership, no matter where you serve. Every episode will give you not only the background theory, but some practical tools that you can use right away. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 1, Episode 10. We're in the middle of a series on the questions we need to answer in order to lead ourselves well. Okay, well, not actually in the middle of a series, but somewhere toward the early part, but not the very beginning and not really at the midpoint either. So, anyway, while I'm going far beyond the scope of the article that inspired this material, back in the 1990s, Peter Drucker wrote an excellent piece called Managing Oneself. Over the upcoming episodes, you can expect to hear echoes of that Drucker article, not necessarily because I want to, but because of the profound impact that it has had on me as a leader. Now, as I mentioned before, I've tried to make these episodes as standalone as possible, relatively bite-sized, so even this series on managing yourself doesn't have to be listened to in any particular order. So with all of that in mind, let's dig into some of these key factors in managing yourself. This time around, I'm going to look at some of the contrasts that leaders need to sort out and understand their own preferences. Now, in each set, one or the other is likely to be your default position. I'm not saying you can't do both, but I am saying that when you get in a high-stress, high-demand situation, you will tend to default to one or the other. So let me introduce these, and then we'll dig into each contrast in greater detail. So here they are. Telescope or microscope? Tasky or teamy? Compass or clock? Innovation or stability? Let's start off with telescope or microscope. This gets to your own preference for the big picture view. The telescope versus the minute details. The microscope. So maybe your preference is in, see, is in seeing the whole process, understanding how it interacts with its environment, and how all of the pieces fit together. You understand that there are a lot of small pieces that make up the whole, but somebody's got to be thinking about all of those pieces and how they interact with each other. But maybe you're one of those people who's not concerned with the whole system because you're busy troubleshooting this one piece of it. You'd make the argument that it doesn't matter how the pieces fit together if those pieces don't work in the first place. Back in 1977, IBM commissioned a film called Powers of Ten. It described it as the impact of adding another zero. And the film begins with a picnic in a park on the lakeshore in Chicago. And first, it zooms out from the scene by Powers of Ten ultimately to a view of the scene from intergalactic space. Then it zooms back in, moving closer to the scene by powers of 10, and finally to the subatomic level. If you're interested, it's available on YouTube, and I'll put a link on the show page. See, the fascinating thing about the film is the level of complexity in both views. It was never intended to be a leadership resource, but here I am. I like to point out that it is possible for us to get into the weeds either way. See, we need to understand an appropriate scope, macro and micro, and keep those parameters in mind in what we're doing. 
For the detailed thinker, it's always possible to go another level deeper and add another layer of complexity. This usually shows up in the need to do more and more analysis, to understand processes more thoroughly and provide additional data to be able to reduce our uncertainty. But for the big picture thinker, it's always possible to step back another level and add more context. For big picture thinkers, this means taking into consideration another set of outside factors and how they might impact the work at hand. See, we do this to understand the market better, to know what the other guy is up to, and to reduce unpleasant surprises. You see, you do need to know you're bent on this, because mostly it's where you're going to retreat where the, when the pressure's on. The phrase paralysis by analysis applies to both telescope and microscope thinkers. One more look at the data, one more deep dive, one more market analysis. I've always been a big picture guy. Years ago, I was doing development work on some data structures for a project. This was telescope work for sure. I had to look at all of the possible points of connection and handle, handle incoming data from a lot of sources. Now, I was working with a team that had to do the actual coding and the hard work of processing that data. And they complained to me that the data structures that I had designed were way more complex than was necessary. And they balked at the extra work that it took to support this model. Now this, actually, was one of the few times when I had to dig in my heels as a leader and say, trust me on this. This was not the time for collaboration, and I asked them to continue moving forward and withhold judgment for about a month. Well, within that time, we started getting data from a variety of sources, and the team quickly realized that without the complex data structure, there was no way to handle all of it, let alone make sense of it. See, that's a good example, actually, of how the micro and macro views have to support each other. On our team, there were people with different preferences, and there was honest interaction around it. We all brought our strengths to the table, and we wound up in a good place on that project. It turns out that the, the team couldn't do what I did, and I couldn't do what they did. We had to trust each other, and we did. And here's the thing. You have to remember this. Whether you have a telescope view or a microscope view, you do not have the whole picture. Recognize the limits of your preference and recognize that it is your comfort zone and let people help you to flesh out that whole, that whole picture that you need as a leader. The next one is tasky or teamy. Now, this one is going to get a full episode later on in Season 1, but I want to introduce this idea here. You're going to have a preference for the task side of leadership or the people side of leadership. Now, if you're tasky, as I call it, your focus is on getting things done, eliminating obstacles, and checking things off your list. For you, leadership is about getting people to get stuff done. But if you're teamy, as I define it, your focus is on maintaining the health and the productivity of your team. If we keep the team happy, they will make sure that we get things done. Now, without sloshing over into that future episode that I mentioned, I want you to understand it's important for you to know your bent. Tasky leaders can sometimes steamroll over their teams in order to push toward meaningful outcomes. Teamy leaders can sometimes be so supportive of their teams that nothing happens. Meaningful work gets pushed to the sidelines. 
Now, in both of these instances, morale can suffer. Tasky leaders risk discounting their team members and putting results and accomplishment above everything. And morale suffers. Teamy leaders wind up with a team that feels supported and encouraged, but ultimately feels like their work doesn't matter because there's no consistent end goal. And morale suffers. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, that sounds like me. And maybe you're thinking... I'm right about my approach, and Sam is just wrong about this. Well, to use one of my common analogies, be the Goldilocks leader. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. In other words, be not too tasky, not too teamy, but, say it with me, just right. The next preference we're going to look at is compass or clock. This is not about your view of time. That's a couple of episodes down the track. This is about how you orient yourself to your work. Now, if you're a fan of productivity hacks and time management tools, some of this might feel a bit intuitive to you. We'll start with clocks, since that seems to be a dominant model in North American culture. In this model, we tend to think of our work in terms of various deadlines, and these appear either on your calendar or on your clock, obviously. You tend to view life in terms of set blocks of time with distinct starts and endpoints. And you define your success in terms of how well you adhere to those deadlines. The term time management is a clear indicator of the clock model of thinking. And if you know the Pomodoro method, you know what this approach looks like. You can easily interweb seek information on the Pomodoro method, but in short, it amounts to picking a task, working 25 minutes on it uninterrupted, followed by a five-minute break. Keep working that model until you get everything done. Okay, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but you get the idea. It's a very helpful tool, and it clearly leans toward a clock orientation to work. Maybe, though, you might just have a compass orientation. And it's not about finishing before the deadline. It's about being sure you're doing the right thing. It's about checking your progress against what's most important, rather than against the clock. There's the old joke about being lost but making good time. Well, that applies here. These are the folks who will stop to ensure that they are doing the right thing and moving in the right direction. See, if you're into productivity tools, there are a few things that apply here. First, the bullet journal, which is largely devoid of dates and deadlines and focuses mostly on doing what's most important. Now, David Allen, in his book, Getting Things Done, talks about what is the most important thing I can be doing right now. That's compass thinking. See, the conflicts that happen in this realm are similar to the tasky-teamy dichotomy, but with this, the focus is on personal working style and source of motivation. Are you more impressed by checking off the items on your list by the end of the day, a clock approach, or are you more focused on making sure that the important stuff gets done? And the focus in that sentence is on important stuff, not done. That's a compass approach. Now, I'm a compass guy. Ask my wife, she has had to put up with me for a long time. But not nearly long enough, in my opinion. See, when I was a kid, my mom called me Moses, and it, she explained to me that it was because it took me 40 years to get anything done. You know, as soon as someone says, hurry up, I'm in immediate trouble, because my focus goes to trying to hurry 
and not in trying to do what needs to be done. doesn't mean I'm slow, but it does mean that I'm not driven by the clock. I'm driven by doing it right. Now, this frustrates people who have a strong clock orientation. I'm just happy to be moving in the right direction. So I hope you know yourself well enough to know whether you prefer the clock or the compass. Now, I will say, if you like the compass, you're in the minority. And that's okay. The last one I want to look at in this episode is the preference for innovation or stability. This is a tough one because most people like to think of themselves as innovators. They like the idea of the new thing. The problem is, for many of you, you really prefer stability. I'm fine with change, but not too much and not too fast. Now others of you are thinking, why stay put? What's wrong with change? If you don't make changes, you'll stagnate. Now, one of those two approaches immediately appealed to you. But you have exceptions. See, you innovators, you say you're fine with change until the change hits close to something that you value, and then your world gets turned upside down. And you stabilizers, you say you like things as they are until you realize that you're either bored or you need a change of pace, and you're ready, frankly, to have your work turned upside down. Robert Terry, in one of his books, probably The Seven Zones for Leadership, made the observation that most organizations think about change management while neglecting the idea of stability management. I think that idea deserves a whole book, and it was a throwaway line in a pretty significant leadership text. And I've thought about it for years. See, when we're in the midst of change, who's going to ensure that we keep the things that are most important to us? A while back, I worked with a small company that was in the process of becoming a mid-sized company. They were a leader in a relatively small market, but that market was starting to grow. And one of the things we focused on was helping them to understand why they had been successful and why their customers were doing business with them. See, they had competitors that were small divisions of bigger companies, and yet the company, their customers really kept coming to them. So before they could make any changes in their business, they had to figure out why they were successful. Why did their customers keep coming to them? And implement some stability management to make sure that those things did not change. Now, without divulging any trade secrets, they did that. They grew and they remained successful. See, you will have a natural bent toward either innovation or stability. And that bent will depend somewhat on the situation or the circumstances. So hear this. Innovators, listen to the stabilizers. You don't want to innovate yourself away from your most significant sources of value. And stabilizers, don't fear the innovators. You don't want to remain still for so long that competitors pass you by. For both groups, be open-minded enough to know what's at stake and be willing to step away from your preference long enough to consider the details. Ask yourself, and know yourself well enough to know where you fall in these areas. Do you prefer telescope or microscope? Do you prefer tasky or teamy? Do you prefer compass or clock? Do you prefer innovation or stability. 
See, at this point, you should be sensing how these ideas kind of fit together and how that jumble of emotions, skills, and preferences that you have can contradict one another and still be meaningful and valuable. These are critical in learning how to manage yourself. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. Consider what you've learned and what strategies and practices you can implement right now. If you have leadership questions that you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find the questions link on our show page. We can't answer everything, but we'll watch for themes and big-picture questions and get to as many as we can. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.